one year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? You would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instructions from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bullshit saying the jerk, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first end, this is trapping today. All right, I got my audio sorted out. I couldn't hear myself for a minute there. Um, I'm Jeremiah Wood. Glad to be here from Northern Maine. Talk trapping on Saturday night. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-D-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kyle and Kellen Cots from Savannah, Illinois have an awesome trapping supply company, a lure and bait business, and they just they do a little bit of everything. So anything that you need, uh, whether it's full-on trapping supplies to get out food for the season or it's just a uh, uh, one item or two here and there, check out Cotspros.com. That's K-A-A-T-Z. And thanks to those guys for being longtime sponsors of the show. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. You can take advantage of so many different features. This thing, you just download the app on your phone and you immediately have access to all this aerial imagery. You've got uh, the capability to mark waypoints. You can uh, track your, your movements and make tracks, check on roads, look at all the stuff. You can see landowner information, and you can get topo maps. It's just everything right there in front of you. It is so useful. And, by the way, Onyx has been a supporter of this show for a year now, and I just had a discussion with them about re-upping for another year, and we have done that. So I'm really excited because it took me a while to get an idea of actually how many of you guys were taking advantage of this and using the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, when you go to onxmaps.com and sign up for the service. And if you do that, if you use the promo code, you get 20% off of your purchase. So that is a, a really sweet deal. And I've been saying that for like what? I don't know, 52 episodes, <laughs> thereabouts. Uh, and I was like, well, is anybody even taking advantage of this or using this? I don't know. I don't get a lot of feedback. I've had a few people that told, have told me thanks and, you know, use the code and stuff, but not very many. So um, actually, uh, I did get a report and it was a jaw-dropping number of people, those of you in the audience who have done this. And so I, I was extremely excited about that. And I hope that more of you, if you don't use Onyx, and a lot, actually a lot of people probably who listen to this already use Onyx to begin with. 
So they, they uh, didn't have the chance to do that because they're already subscribed. But uh, the promo code is still up and running. We have renewed it, and TRAP is going to save you 20%. So if you haven't signed up for Onyx, please go ahead and do that. You will not regret it. You're going to get to the end of your subscription and think, oh, man, what would I do without this? Because I mean, it's just it's so convenient. It's right there. It's so easy. You can sync everything between your phone and your computer, and you've got easy, quick access to all of the, the mapping Anything you could do with the GPS, plus you get the landowner information. They have constant updates to things. So check them out, onxmaps.com. And finally, Moyle Mink and Tannery. What are you going to do with the fur that you catch this year? A lot of you guys are sending it to get tanned. We know fur prices are low, even though we hopefully are going to see a little bit of a bounce back in the next few months. Uh, you, you know, if, if you don't catch a whole pile of fur, Chances are your best bet is to get that fur tanned, especially if you're just getting started and you only have a few animals. You want to preserve those memories, hang them up on the wall. And if you want to get creative, if you're entrepreneurial, a lot of you guys have been going ahead and getting that fur tanned and doing some things with with, um, sewing and uh, creating all kinds of cool things. I'd love to hear from you jrodwood at gmail.com j-r-o-d-w-o-o-d at gmail.com with anything that you have made and i will tell you one uh, that i heard from uh, allison in alaska who purchased a tanned coyote pelt from my trap line and she she got that oh that was one that i had sent to moyle to get tanned and got it back put it up on the trapping today store she purchased that and she sent me a picture of her with wearing the coyote hat. And she said something along the lines. Maybe I should look it up so I'm I'm not misquoting her. Okay, she had the coyote pelt made into a hat by an Alaskan fur sewer. And she said, not only do I love it, but she told me it was one of the most beautiful coyotes she's ever seen. So that was awesome to hear and to see that uh, pelt being put to good use. So there's so many different things you can do, but you got to get it tanned. You can't let that raw fur sit around and the bugs are going to get at it and it's going to be, it's going to rot. It's going to be bad. You got to get it preserved long-term when you tan it, you get it back. You can hang that up in the closet or put it on the shelf and you don't have to worry about that, that fur having any issues with long-term storage. And then you can do what you want with it. So Moyle Mink and Tannery is the place to go. These guys are the professionals. They do an incredible job at a very reasonable price. And I I know I don't even have to question this. They're the best in the industry. There's just no question about it. Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. Go there and uh, use their services. They have an online portal where you you can sign up and you can go through the whole process and get your shipment ready yourself online. And then you just print off the shipping label and print off uh, a sheet to put in the box to so they know when they get it what they're looking at and uh, send it. I did have one of you guys send me an email this week about shipping costs. And that is a challenge that is... Uh, it's very, very difficult, and there's not a lot of ways to get around it. It costs so much to ship uh, things across the country right now. It's only getting worse. Um, U.S. Postal Service is what a lot of us use, especially like guys like me in rural areas. You don't have, like like I'm half an hour away from the FedEx or any FedEx or UPS 
drop-off location. So they do deliver to my house, but they don't deliver every day. And so if I want to ship something, um, I either gotta gotta sit here and wait for UPS to show up, or if I do postal service, they pick it up every day. So like all the stuff on Trapping Today Store, TrappingTodayStore.com by the way, just put up the Manly Hardy book and get all the books and T-shirts and and everything else up there, lures and 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 uh, whatever. Uh, what else we got? Well, that's about it. We get we get. I might have one or two Russ Carmen traps left if you guys are interested in that. So go check it out. You never know what you're going to find there. Oh, yeah, tan furs, lots of those. So, um, yeah, shipping. So it, that's what I use because I know I can ship stuff out right after somebody orders it. But if you're shipping to the tannery, you're going to notice that if anything is like a lot of furs, if it's pretty light, if you only get a couple furs, but it's real like bulky, it's big, so, for instance, you got like two beaver pelts. Alex that emailed me was dealing with this. He had like two beavers and a couple weasels. And they, it, the box was so bulky compared to its actual weight that you get USPS puts on this like balloon charge where it, it costs extra for shipping like large boxes that don't weigh a lot because it takes up space. USPS also hates weight. And so they're going to really penalize you when you have a, a pro, any type of package that's going to be that's over like a few pounds. So the a couple of things that I mentioned, I don't have a lot of answers, but uh, number one is get creative with the packaging and, and he actually did this and, and I hope hopefully he's able to make it work. but get creative with the packaging sometimes you can you can roll those beaver pelts up, you can fold them a little bit as long as you don't fold them too like don't make a crease in them or anything but you can roll them you can kind of fold them gently uh, and try to get creative in in minimizing the actual square footage of that box one thing that you can do especially if you're getting up in in numbers of pelts um, you don't necessarily have to have a everything fit in a specific box and what I actually did and this was actually a, a po uh, UPS shipping uh, shipment that I did here the other day but I actually just took two pieces of cardboard that were and I, I was shipping beavers I actually shipped I think 25 beavers in this shipment and I took two pieces of cardboard that were uh, approximately just a little bit larger than the largest beaver pelt that I had in the shipment and I put one on the outside and one on the other out, other side one on each side, and they sandwiched a bunch of beaver pelts in between them. And so basically make, you're making a beaver pelt sandwich with all the pelts in the middle and a piece of cardboard on each side. And I squeezed those together as tight as I could, and then I actually ordered a roll of shrink wrap that was, oh, I think it was two feet long by probably 10 miles. It was, it was just unbelievable amount of material in that roll but um, I took that and I just started tightly wrapping all the way around those two pieces of cardboard and in in all different directions and eventually you get just this big hunk of cardboard and shrink wrap with beaver pelts inside and I sent that off to Garrett Volk in North Dakota Volk Furs and he said it was absolutely perfect it was a great it worked great it was I'd never done it before but he said it, it worked awesome so we're going to do that in the future because 
it saves a lot of money over a big like we were in the past I was using 18 by 18 by 36 boxes for those beaver pelts and uh, we were able to save a lot of bulk and a little bit of cost the other thing is if you're gonna do this fairly often and if you maybe have some other business reasons that you are, are gonna ship items sign up for a UPS business account I think I've mentioned this before a few episodes back but I basically cut my shipping costs in half for UPS by signing up for a business account. And I, I it worked out pretty good because I'm going to be using that account for quite a bit in the future. But it's a little bit of extra work to go through the process. But once you do it, it, it is a huge benefit. So if you're going to use it, go ahead and, and give that a shot and uh, get that first sent off. Get it sent to Moyle. And then when they send it back, of course, when it's tanned, they you can they, they can fit it in a much smaller square footage and uh and it it doesn't cost near as much to to send it back as it does to actually send it out for most items so that's moil mccontannery thanks for all three of our sponsors it's great to have those guys and uh just kind of carrying along here it's kind of crazy i i we're getting into the summer season so the trapping season is going to be slowing down i mean it still is march here and we've got almost another month of beaver trapping here in northern maine and I'm not sure what that's going to bring for me personally on the trap line. I think I'm going to do uh, some spring beaver trapping, but I've, I've been balancing a, a lot of other things going on at the same time. So I'm, I'm working on that a little bit, but I was just looking back and we're, this is episode. I don't actually rattle out the numbers of every episode anymore. That got a little redundant, but this is 174. And so we're, we're rolling along. This is great. And uh, I, I am enjoying it and just kind of not setting the world on fire, but just sort of doing a little bit more each and every week and cranking it out and eventually we'll get there, right? So one of the things that we did this week is me and Philippe from Our Numinous Nature have completed the Trapping Today logo, the new logo. So we got that finalized he did an awesome job on it it took a long time we're back and forth a lot i was real picky he had uh, a bunch of different versions he had to mock up and send to me and i'd i'd send back and we'd go back and forth and finally we got something that i think we both really love and i'm pumped to get give you guys uh, a little bit of a a peek sneak peek on that on what the logo is going to look like and i'm not really sure all of what's going to going to show up with the logo on it right now but what I do know is I just ordered a shipment of coffee mugs with the trapping the new trapping today logo so that's going to be the first item that has the trapping today logo on it and so those will show up I'll I'll put them on the store as soon as I get them it might might take oh probably a week or so but I think I'll I'll have them and have them up on the store before you know it and uh, maybe some bumper stickers coming, maybe some pint glasses, maybe some t-shirts, um, who knows. But I think maybe I'll put uh, a picture of the logo up on this uh, podcast episode, in the, maybe in the show notes. I'll, I'll put that up and, and give you a chance to take a look at it. If you don't see it on your whatever app you use to get the show, just go to trappingtoday.com and click on the latest episode, episode 174, whatever I end up calling this, and you'll see a picture of that Trapping Today logo. It's a, as you might imagine, it's a Martin, <laughs> a Martin and a trap, and uh, just uh, really beautifully done. 
um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to making the logo uh, more commonplace and you're going to see it in a lot of different places. I'm working on other stuff too. I have a few other things going on and I don't know where they're going to go. So I'm not going to say much about them just yet because I just don't know. Um, it's sort of that part of that entrepreneurial spirit. You have all these ideas and a lot of them don't work out and maybe one out of 10 or one out of 20 actually get somewhere. So uh, there's there's a couple in the hopper. We'll see if they get anywhere. But um, one of them is, is potentially going to solve a, a really big problem that I have on my trap line and I think a lot of you guys have as well. So if I get closer, I kind of have a prototype working on right now. If I do advance that and decide to really put more time and effort into it and get closer to an actual product, uh, obviously I will be uh, letting you know and as we move along all right tonight's episode took me a while to get into that but this is this is just great this was a long time coming so jeff trainer from fur bear conservation if you guys don't know jeff you ought to check out his website and his instagram furbearerconservation.com and it and jeff's uh he is he this site was actually live free and trap for a long time so Jeff is a trapper from New Hampshire. He's about my age. I think he may be a couple years younger than me. Wicked sharp guy. And he's been doing this for quite a while. He started this blog, Live Free and Trap, way back when, you know, it was probably, I want to say it was uh, 10 years ago. And he provided uh, a lot of information then just, uh, it was kind of general trapping stuff. It was a lot of the issues that they were dealing with in New Hampshire with uh, bobcat trapping season and the the um, anti-trapping community and crowd and, and all that stuff that was going on and that has kind of morphed and evolved over time jeff has evolved over time as well like we all do as humans i i constantly mention this but i am amazed looking back at how much i've changed in the last decade and the decade before and how much i may change in the decade to come i never would have thought that now looking back as an adult in my late 30s almost mid to late 30s it, it's kind of scary that I feel it feels old to me um, I it, it's amazing looking back and, and thinking of the person that I was back uh, just just 10 or 15 years ago and Jeff and I do get into that later on we're not going to do it in tonight's episode but we we do talk about that but but Jeff kind of changed over time in turn this website into less of uh, less of a battle with the antis and more of a focus on fur bear conservation as the title might imply more uh, habitat more species information science biology uh, the the link between trappers and biologists um, educating the general public about fur bears and their management and why they need to be managed. So it, it is an incredible resource. Jeff does a great job there. Um, I wish he would do more. That's the only thing. And, and he's dealing with the same thing I am with uh, uh, actually living a life and a number of different lives and trying to balance them all and also put some time into this. So uh, check it out, Fur Bear Conservation. In this episode, we talk about Jeff's background, how he got started trapping, uh, his where he lives in New Hampshire and traps, what he does now, which he has 
has kind of changed and become a, a full-time animal damage control operator. And so, sort of some of the, the interesting aspects of living and working in that area with the public and their views on trapping. So we get into a little bit of that. We talk forever. Jeff and I just, I think we have a lot in common. We think alike in a lot of ways. And, and we could have talked all day. I think we it, we ended up being on the phone for a couple hours, two, two and a half hours. And I'm going to split this up into probably probably three different parts. We'll see how it goes. But the, this first part, I, I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's talk with Jeff Trainer. Jeff Trainer from Fur Bear Conservation. Great to have you on, Jeff. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, likewise, it's uh, it's a bit of an honor. Well, um, I've been following your stuff for quite a while now, and uh, back in the live free and trap days, that was uh, <laughs> one of the, the early trapping blogs slash websites, um, and uh, things have come a long way since then, so it's pretty cool to see how, how things have changed. Um, maybe we could get started by just getting a little bit of information on your background and how you got started trapping. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, right off the bat, you mentioned... Um you mentioned the live free and trap days. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, when I was developing this entity, whatever you want to call it now, um, there was, I, I was doing searching and I was big into marketing and, and the design work and things like that. And uh, there was only one other uh, trapping resource blog, uh, you know, online applicable resource, if you will, in those times, right around 2013, 2014. And it was in fact, trappingtoday.com so kudos to you man because i think this is like a the planets have aligned or something it's like we've come full circle <laughs> yes <laughs> a- absolutely it's funny and it's, it's and it's even more it's even more ironic that we're, we're two states apart from each other that's right yeah for sure um, it, it's also um, it's also cool how um, looking back how how much things changed based you know compared to what you expected things to be i like when yeah. I started that, it, it's completely different than anything I could have imagined. Oh, God, even the just, just I mean, you could talk about all of it in general, but even just the social media aspect, how much everything has just expanded. Everything uh, is on social media now, whereas before it was one of the primary cursors to me developing uh, the site that I did and the, the what it eventually became um, was the fact that there just wasn't much for uh, trapping specific resources um on online let alone but but particularly in the social media world uh where things were really heating up there just was not much of a trapping presence um and that was kind of a precursor for this um so it's it's amazing yeah you look at it and you're like you know we 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 think about where we came from and how uh, what our intents were at the at the time and how much it's blown up now. I mean, I can't even tell you how many trapping pages and groups and uh, brands and all this stuff that is online now. Whereas before, it's like where was this stuff? You know, you're, you're talking you're talking less than than ten years, and it's uh, it's just completely blown up, which is great. It's a bit of a blessing and a curse in some aspects, but definitely, I think definitely more positive than negative. Yeah, trapping's um, always about yeah, ten years late to the party, isn't it? <laughs> for, for good for good measure and we tend to stick around longer too yeah, that's right. um but uh but yeah me myself uh my name uh, as you mentioned jeff trainer uh i am a uh, i am a born and raised uh new hampshire uh trapper i guess if you will um 
it's it's strange to talk about this stuff now because of how much it's changed just in the last couple of years for me personally. But, um, you know, basically my background, um, I was just a kid that uh, lived in, in a rural small town uh, in New Hampshire. Um, we definitely had our fair share of trappers uh, in the in my neck of the woods, although I wasn't really aware of them. Uh, my father, uh, who uh, was a, a regular visitor when he was younger, before I was born, to the Allagash region of Maine, he was always up in the Allagash, um, and he would do these, uh, I wouldn't call them raw camping trips, but he would minimalist uh, survival-type trips up into the, 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 the far, far rural reaches of Maine. And um, he'd always talk, you know, he'd tell these stories to me when I was a kid about, you know, his attempts to snare rabbits for dinner and all these other crazy things that you could get away with back then up there. <laughs> um, and it kind of just, it seeded like this uh, inquisitive notion, um, you know, while most guys are, are definitely heavy, heavily interested in like deer and uh, some of the more big game species, I was always uh, enthralled with the little guys, the raccoons and the and the fisher and, um, you know, mink and all of these things that they, they, it was always a, a treat to see these creatures. And, you, you know, it, it, it kind of left this deep seated, uh, interest with me. And, um, when I was in my, uh, adolescent years, um, we we're doing some work in the backyard and I actually dug up an old, uh, jump trap. Really? Uh, I forget, I forget the name. I think it was like a kangaroo trap or yeah. something they yeah. called it, but I've, um, I've got one or two of those lying around. Yeah. Yeah, and it and I found it just kind of chilling in the in the mud. I live along a river, um, which was prime trapping territory back then. We had our fair share of raccoons and stuff, but we were along the river where I lived. And um, you know, just the, seeing the trap, and you know, uh, I think it's the same thing for everybody. The first uh, notion is um, you know the chewing of the paws, or uh, is this thing gonna like amputate the animal or something? So uh, it just spiraled and got me interested in pursuing uh, the art, if you will, of trapping a little more. And uh, it was about a year after, a couple of years after I found that trap that um, I approached a uh, fishing game staff member uh, from my state and asked them if trapping was still a relevant activity and where I could go to get certified. Um, and the rest was history, man. It was, it, <laughs> How it old were took you at the off time? from there. Oh, I want to say... Uh, when I found that trap, I was probably 14 or so, 13, 14. Um, and then when I finally uh, got all my trapping certifications, it was a little later in life, probably, uh, you know, late high school, uh, right around there. I want to say that I finally decided to, to pursue it. I mean, I was always, I was always in the woods as a kid, but obviously trapping wasn't the focal point. It was, I was, a, I was fishing and, um, you know, poking things with sticks that were dead and you know, that sort of thing, playing with bugs and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until a little later in, you know, my adolescence that I, that I finally got certified. And do you remember the first animal you caught? First animal I caught was in my backyard. It was a raccoon. Um, and it was a Believe it or not, it, I didn't realize it at the time because, again, when you be, before you become a seasoned trapper and, and notice all these characteristics, it was a melanistic raccoon. Really? Um, which I didn't I, – I just thought that was the color of raccoons <laughs> until I caught two more that same year. And I'm going, wait, these are – these have color to them. That one <laughs> – that one's just black and gray. You probably didn't um, get that tan, did you? 
I did. You did. I did. Awesome. So, so that's the other thing about me. Um, and Jesus, what are we going on? I'm I'm 34 now. You're talking probably in the last decade and a half uh, that I've been trapping seriously. Um, I've only sold probably one season's worth, maybe two seasons worth of fur in a fur auction. Everything else I've kept for myself in ten. Yep. yep. And that's, I mean, I'm sitting on, <laughs> I'm sitting on closets upon closets of, of pel- tanned hides and pelts. But I do, <laughs> I do sell some of it off. You know, I make gloves for people, or someone will show up here and want some beaver slippers or beaver winter beaver hat, or give them away as Christmas gifts. I just. I go through the work of trapping the animal and I just get so attached that it's hard for me to um, just give it away, you know, not necessarily give it away, but um, I, I, I like to see it through, if you will, uh, through the tanning process. That's just part of my uh, inquisitive nature with these critters. Yeah. And there's probably, you probably thought like me of all the different things that you can do with fur. And I'm sure there's a lot of things we haven't figured out yet, but we, we'll probably tend to get more creative as more of us uh, go that route of tanning fur and keeping a bunch of the fur. Well, and it sounds like that's kind of like the norm now. You know, when I first started trapping, I got looks from the old timers like you wouldn't believe looking at me sideways going, well, you're doing what? Why would you tan that otter? What are you, what is wrong with you? Get that thing <laughs> sold and get your money. How are you paying for your gas? You know, and I was a, a true blue for the most part hobby trapper when I started out. And like most of us, 99% of us probably are, were. Um, but, you know, you, you got the sideways looks for many years. And then, you know, I think with the fur market, the way it is, especially now, um, it seems like that's a, no one box and bats an eyelash at uh, at someone saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to keep it tan my furs. <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's it's just crazy how that how that has changed i mean i started i was i i i, I sold everything i could because i just mm. needed the you know i had a old vehicle that was always broken down and had to do repairs and had to put gas in the truck mm. and, and uh, i look back and think man i wish i would have kept that fur <laughs> oh yeah i mean some of it you know some of it i <laughs> I, I guess I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum because I open up the closets now and I go, man, I, I got to get rid of the fur. <laughs> well, the, the, the beauty of it is it's, it's not going bad on you. Right, right. No, and I, uh, I do, I am an associate certified entomologist as well. Uh, I am well versed in the four, six, and eight-legged critters. Nice. Uh, so, the, so the fur moths don't stand a chance in this house. We, sh- we should have just done an, the episode on that. <laughs> I know. I know. How to prevent can... bu- bugs from ruining your fur? Oh God! It's it's a blog article that uh, I call it the cutting room floor. There is so much, uh, as you probably know. I'm sure you've got plenty with your with your writing skills and your podcast. I'm sure you've got plenty of material just sitting around collecting dust. But um, fur fur care and keeping the bugs out of your hides is definitely one that is just chilling on the on the cutting room floor somewhere right now. Well, let us know when it's, when it's coming out. Cause I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you, Absolutely. you obviously, you have, uh, you're a very skilled writer. So where'd that writing background come from? Um, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. Um, I was never a skilled writer before I started talking about trapping. My parents cannot figure out where it came from. <laughs> uh, most of my friends cannot figure out where it came from. Um, I don't, no, I mean, I did go to college, um, but I, I didn't major in creative writing. I majored more so in uh, in the graphic arts and marketing fields, um, which is ironic, which is basically what brought me to 
uh, being pretty much a quote unquote full-time trapper because I had uh, some trapping experience when I graduated college during a recession. And the funny thing about graduating college during a recession is that despite the fact that it's a recession, the college bills are still due. Yeah. Um, the loan payments are still due and uh, skunks basically paid for that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I became almost right off the bat my first year, actually uh, my first year having a certified license. I was already dealing with nuisance beaver situations. Um, I was already being contracted for beaver work. By the time I graduated college, um, the wrangling skunks from under people's porches uh, was what was paying the college bills. It wasn't a graphic design degree. It was the uh, it was the trapping that was paying the bills. And now I am a uh, I pretty much I would say for the last few years, at least um, I've ventured away from what I would call the seasonal trapper, the fur trapper, if you will. I am a full time uh, nuisance control uh, trapper year round. And that's nice. what that's what I've done with my career. So it's. So the do you graphic work? design degree came in great for the website. Yeah, the website looks that, awesome. It's, <laughs> it's on the back burner otherwise. <laughs> uh, do you work for a company or do you have your own business? Um, so for many years, I worked uh, for one of the largest regional uh, pest and wildlife control outfits, and uh, I am now fully on my own. Wow. Wow. Yep. yep. So that and I, mean, I hand, and like I said, I handle everything. I handle the six-legged pests, the four-legged pests, the the eight-legged critters. You know, all of it. Now, did you get the entomology degree along with graphic design? No, no, no. So that came later. That came as a uh, as a certification process uh, oh, through okay. uh, through my pest control career. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Huh. So that I, I know that's a challenge for a lot of people is uh, transitioning. It's it sounds like you mm. transitioned pretty quick, but a lot of people have probably enough wildlife control work to keep them busy, but maybe not enough uh, or enough of an established business to actually make the leap and quit their day job. You, and this is the thing that I always tell people because people always approach me all the time when they, when I tell them I am a, um, I'm a wildlife control professional and, and believe it or not, um, the two go hand in hand, you know, the, the understanding of critters, uh, the understanding of our abundant fur bearers and, and how to target them uh, for a career in, in, property protection and public safety um the two go hand in hand the, the concepts run parallel to each other but as far as um application and mindset uh they take a 180 from each other they, they completely uh go opposite of each other and i what i mean by that is whereas a lot of people when i tell them i'm a wildlife control professional they immediately are like oh that's awesome you know you get to pull baby raccoons out of walls and um, you know, you get to, you know, handle bats and, and all this crazy stuff. And they, you know, they think you're the, the Billy, the exterminator or the, uh, or the, you know, one of the Corwins or something. But the reality is, um, I literally have a 32 foot ladder and a, uh, screw gun <laughs> and I go around sealing up Seal holes. holes yeah. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's very little, uh, there's very, there's very little actual wildlife handling involved with being a commercial uh, wildlife control guy. A lot of it is literally hanging off of a ladder, uh, <laughs> sealing and repairing damage. You do get the occasional trap, you know, like I said, the skunks. Uh, I do a lot of beaver control work. Um, you get the occasional porcupine, you know, that you're wrestling out from underneath a barn uh, floor space or something, but. Nine times out of ten, the daily grind is uh, basically glorified carpentry. <laughs> so, give and, us an and idea. you see people lose interest quick. 
I bet. Yeah. G- uh, give us an idea of the area that you live in, how whether it's urban or rural or uh, the types of places that you're working in. So southern New Hampshire is a amazing place because you can go from 5,000 acres of untouched, pristine ruralness to downtown cityscape uh, in a matter of 20 minutes. So you have a lot of transition. And I find I found that the most fascinating about my experience with trapping. You know, part of it is the societal, uh, psychological, you know, discourse between whether or not we should manage resources. That's one aspect that I, I find fascinating. Uh, but the other aspect is definitely the fact that um, Fisher in particular, which I know you guys got plenty of Fisher up your way. Yep. Uh, the Fisher is an animal that always, always has intrigued me. And what we started finding here in New Hampshire was that they started declining. Now, we're still not 100% sure what that is. Is it an increase in the bobcat population? We, we don't manage our bobcats down here. They, are, they do uh, compete uh, with each other. Um, is it uh, canine distemper virus, which we've, we've seen outbreaks of? Um, is it habitat loss? Is it all of the above? Is it trapping? We don't think it's over harvest with trapping because we've, we've got a two fisher bag limit at this point now. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's not, you know, I don't think it's that, but I was always chasing fisher in the most rural haunts I could find these dense pine groves, um, rural, rural, rural. I always thought that fisher were in the wilderness. They're a wilderness creature. Let me tell you something. I see more fisher sign and tracks in the, in the alleyways, between the cities and the transition zones of, you know, suburban, I'll call it suburban, not quite fully city urban, um, but the suburban neighborhoods, uh, you just find so much more fisher activity there. And what I think is these animals are just like coyotes and skunks and raccoons, fisher and some of these other more quote unquote rural creatures are starting to find a way to successfully adapt to human infrastructure. So I always tell people, I've told people on other podcasts I've been on when they say, you know, which do you prefer the the damage control trapping or the, or the the seasonal fur trapping in the woods? I tell them uh, the most abundant and most successful trapping that I've found in my, you know, decade and a half of of doing trapping. uh, It's been those spillways and the slews behind the supermarkets and these, these little, you're on the fringes of human society. You're, yeah. you're right there. I mean, you can see the supermarket from where I'm, I'm trapping muskrats. And uh, it just seems I'm finding more animals are far more abundant in these urban areas than, than, uh, than in the, than in the, the rural, rural areas where, I've, like I said, I've trapped 5,000 acres of, of sheer woods. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if it's because they're funneled more in the in the urban areas uh, or that they're less cautious in the urban areas. I'm not sure well, what aspect of that it is. It's something that I'm always toying with and playing with and reviewing, you know, ledgers and notes going years back when I write these little notes down. But um, but, yeah, it's where I trap and, and where I frequent. It is definitely one giant transition zone between human infrastructure and, and rural uh, wilderness. And, and that's a. God, I, I couldn't I couldn't ask for a better place to be. Are people still flocking there from out of state? Yes, in droves. <laughs> how are how Which are I you guess guys? is taking the pressure off of Maine, right? Uh, they're coming to Maine too. <laughs> just, they just yeah, fortunately for me, they don't come this far north for the most part. Sure, uh, but yeah, we. I mean, it's it certainly is a boy it's changing uh development in the southern part of the state i assume is very similar to where you are 
And uh, mm. uh, as you know, people who come from more urban areas have a little bit different attitudes about wildlife. So uh, you you interact with these people, obviously, probably more than, than most trappers uh, through the animal damage work. Maybe give us an idea of how, uh, like in like in general, what what is a common misconception that uh, homeowners or people who move into your area think about wildlife, and how do you use your communication skills to try to try to work through that with them? I think it's a it's a multi point answer here, but I think first of all, people that are moving here for the most part are shocked that. Trapping even still exists. Yeah, they they have no clue that trapping even takes place on the landscape. They think that um, short of hunting your deer, which even that you know you you get some some looks, um, but they don't they don't put two and two together as to why anyone would want to trap something like say a raccoon for its pelt, and it how people feel once they're given that information, it varies because uh, the Northeast lately has just become a giant melting pot. So we don't have, it's not like it's just people from Massachusetts. I know that's a running joke. You know, they're coming yeah. from Connecticut mass moving up, uh, but it's people coming here from all across the country. So you do have some people that are from, you know, rural Missouri who understand that coyotes you know, need to be hunted or, or managed, if you will, um, to maintain a healthy balance with humans. Um, and then you have people that come straight out of like, I'll just throw a city out of thin air, LA or something, where it's absolutely 100%. Why would anyone want to ever do that? And then the misconception with the animals themselves, I think, and part of why I kind of morphed from the live free of trap days, like we were talking about earlier to this fur bear conservation project um, was to examine and comment upon the, the societal psych- psychology, the psyche people today, I think want to treat our natural resources like it's a petting zoo and they can't help it. It's just, that's, that's what they want. They want to see, I mean, we've got some of the, some of the highest bear complaints, uh, in the in in central and southern New Hampshire, I, I would argue uh, than in anywhere else in the Northeast, at least in the in the south central Northeast. And people continue to hang out bird feeders by the droves. They continue to leave trash out. They continue to feed these animals. I think people want to see bears on their back deck. They want to see coyotes trotting through the the suburban yards. They want to see the skunks eating out of the kitty bowl at one o'clock in the morning on the back deck. They want to see this stuff. They want to take pictures of it. They want to post it online. They want to feel like they are in nature without having to actually be in nature. (laughs) And that is a very, it's a very dangerous game. It's a, on my, from my standpoint, Hey, I'll be the first to fully admit it's a lucrative game on my end. (laughs) It'll keep me in business. Um, But but it is dangerous for the resource. Um, and that, I think that's one of the biggest concerns I have. And that's why I'm, you know, I think, uh, I think some of my adversaries, if you will, I'm speaking in diffused terms, but some of those uh, critics perhaps that uh, are against trapping uh, and have targeted me specifically uh, would make the argument that, um, you know, I just, I'm trying to protect trapping because I like to trap. I, 
since day one, my argument has always been that we, we need to manage these resources or we're not going to have them. And if they were to ban trapping tomorrow, um, animals need to be yeah. har- harvested. And if uh, I think what you were getting at, and I guess my paraphrasing of it is these animals are going to be killed either way. Uh, whether we manage them responsibly or whether uh, somebody pays Jeff to go take care of them or whether they die exactly. of starvation and disease. And the, and the bigger the bigger argument there for me, the bigger concern there for me is obviously um, the fact that when you start managing things as a pest rather than as a resource, now you're now you're 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 starting to tread into wanton waste. Now we're just killing foxes for the sake of killing foxes. We're not actually using them. I mean, you look at some of the government trappers and things like that that have to deal with uh, some of these. Uh, larger uh critter issues um on a on a government level and they're not they're not putting up fox pelts when they have to kill foxes <laughs> they're not putting up coyote pelts they the stuff's going going to waste and me they're, they're gunning them I with would, helicopter and they're not even picking them up yeah man and that's the thing is that like i can't understand why people would want to it, it, they're they're blind to it, and I think for the most part people are blind to it. But I would never understand why people would want to just see things get wasted like that. I would much rather if I got. I think they just don't you know, want to see it at all. Which is just you know you gotta you gotta give them the ugly truth on that um, because they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna see that they're gonna see that truth one way or another. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of regardless of of what happens, um, they're gonna you're gonna see that ugly side. Whether it's me coming in to, to cull, or uh, or whether it's you know a seasonal fur trapper, and and I encourage people, you know, when they got a beaver issue or something, my my services for beaver uh, control don't come cheap. And I usually tell people, look, if you wait till October, November, you might be able to get a, a young fella in here who's just learning how to trap with his father uh, who could put these animals to good use and not charge you for it. Maybe he's just looking for some land. Land to trap on is hard to come by down here. I bet. Um, so, I mean, that's, there's there's the resource management and use side of things, and then there is the um, – and then there's the the pest control side of things and the, the pest control side of things. I think we're most, you know, we saw in Massachusetts where a lot of your animal control trappers, uh, when Massachusetts was going through their trapping ban, um, those trap, uh, those animal control damage trappers, some of them definitely turned coat and said, we're going to go along with a fur ban because it's more money in our pocket. Me, I look at it from a different standpoint where if, if it's all just pest control at that point, it's just such a, a brutal waste of, of, of a natural resource. And I just, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be behind any of that. I don't know what the numbers look like, but it would not surprise me a bit if just as many beavers are harvested in Massachusetts after the fur, after the trapping ban than there were before. Oh, agreed. And, and the question is how, how many of those are being used? Yeah, I say harvest. How many of those I, I should, are being I, put up? I should rephrase that, killed. Um, trapped removed yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean i think you know going roundabout back to your original question you know i think people when they move here they're unaware that the trap the trapping is taking place they don't really have a concept of why anyone would want to do that and there's a selfish notion of 
we want to see all these animals. I don't care about distemper outbreaks. I want to see raccoons and skunks playing in my backyard because I want to. I moved to quaint New Hampshire, <laughs> rural New Hampshire, you know, the northeast from the big city because I wanted to be one with nature. You know, granted, I can take my SUV and drive down to Starbucks in 10 minutes, but where I live in my little two acres is rural New Hampshire, quaint, you know, rural New Hampshire, and, and I want to see all the critters. And I think people just don't grasp the concept that management will help flourish and that you shouldn't be bobcats is a prime example. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be seeing bobcats sleeping under bird feeders. No, in our something's city. wrong. <laughs> and we are, we are in New Hampshire. That's, that's like unequivocally, it's constant that you're seeing bobcats. They might as well be squirrels down here. And for a mysterious, majestic animal that keeps to itself, that's not normal bobcat behavior. Like you got to ask yourself, are we cresting a carrying capacity there? And then you have to marry your, your biological carrying capacity with your social carrying capacity. Well, Absolutely. we tried to get, we tried to get a bobcat season here a few years ago. And um, the pressure from animal rights activists coupled with a public that I think frankly was just not ready uh, to accept that people are killing wild cats. Um, I think that is what drove, you know, the public just didn't want it. And, you know, I accept that for what it is. But in the same regard, now, you know, we're getting uh, cats scraped off of the road, cat pizzas on the highways. And we've got cats, sick cats dying under, you know, porches and decks and in urban areas. And we've got pictures of cell phone video of these cats just taking snoozes under bird feeders and in, in developments where there isn't a tree for two blocks. It's just not normal. And that's, I think that's what you're seeing down here quite a bit is uh, the shift in, in how people perceive wildlife and then also wildlife adapting to that perception. Do you think you'll ever get a cat season there? No, I don't. I, I know that, uh, I know that there's a lot of trappers uh, here um, that are trying uh, and not just trappers. I, I shouldn't say that. I should say, outdoors people because it goes far deeper than just trappers that want a bobcat season it's um the, there's a hunting community there's an aspect of the hunting community that would like to see a season and there's also wildlife management professionals uh both state appointed and private um that feel uh strongly that there should be a cat season for the biological aspect the data collection and things like that that you can get from carcasses from uh harvested animals um there's a whole there's a whole slew of data that can come with uh, opening up a season on managing a species. Um, but I don't, I have to look at it. Maybe I'm pessimistic, but from a societal standpoint, what I see, the direction I see social media going, the direction I see people going and people's opinions going, um, I don't think we'll get a cat season down here, at least, at least not in the near future. Yeah. All right. That's it for tonight. Stay tuned. The next couple of weeks, we will hear more from Jeff, and we'll chat more about the state of the modern-day trapping industry and all kinds of uh, other things that we go back and forth on. Had a lot of fun with that. Finally, it's time for the Cots Brothers Message of the Week. So Cots Bros are aggressively in the market for glands, beaver caster and skunk essence they're paying really good prices if you guys are catching a pile of fur and you have the opportunity um, if you have enough animals save the glands i mean 
if you're only catching a few, save the glands anyway, because for a couple of reasons, it's going to give you a, a little bit of practice on where to find the glands, how to take them and all that. And so you're going to, you're going to be in the habit of when you're catching more and more fur, you're going to be able to save those glands really quick and easy. And you're going to be able to sell them to guys like Cotsbros who are going to pay you a lot of money. I mean, you'd be surprised what you can get for glands. It adds up. Um, and other, if you're, if you're, you know, you're always just going to catch a few animals, you can use those glands for lure and they work really good. You'd be surprised. You don't need to, to buy a high end, fancy commercial top of the line lure to catch fur. You can catch a lot on, on just saving glands and grinding them up and either using them fresh, preserving them fresh or aging them. Any of that, by the way, Cotsbros.com has the best, uh, selection, the, uh, the most on the, they are the place to go for lure making supplies. Basically, I think everything they use, pretty much everything they use to make lures, they sell. And I I don't know of another trapping supply dealer. F and T might be close, but they don't have all what Cotsbros have. I I don't even know if they're close. Cotsbros has a lot of lure making stuff. So if you have any interest in making your own lure, definitely go to Cotsbros. But if you're looking to sell some glands, yes, uh, they are. Still looking for red fox glands. Uh, they're full on coyotes, so that's done. I, I think that's, I just noticed that, that's new. Um, but they're, they're looking for red fox, bobcat, gray fox, badger, otter, uh, mink muskrat, skunk essence. Uh, they're paying good money for skunk essence, so if you have the opportunity, make sure that you take advantage of that. And then beaver caster, um, of course, everybody's looking for caster. A fully dried caster, Cotsbros paying 80 bucks a pound. So check them out, Cotsbros.com. And guys, thanks for everything. And keep in touch. Be sure to email me with any questions, comments, feedback, whatever, jrodwood at gmail.com. And we'll keep moving along. Keep on talking trapping. Keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.